0: Well, We are in the second week of our new series entitled The Drama Behind the Cross, where we're looking at the supporting cast and their roles uh, that God ordained for them to partake in, in the execution of Jesus Christ. We began our series last Sunday by taking a look at Mary of Bethany, who would be used in the anointing of Jesus' body, last week's sermon, Preparation. To be transparent was a lot of fun. I enjoyed preparing to talk about Mary of Bethany, whose faith in the Lord was undignified, shocking. It was um, incredibly faithful and, and shows her trust in Jesus. And then when I found out what I was assigned for this week, I wasn't as excited. For this week we are talking about Judas scary. Now, like I said, preparing for Mary was fun. I could say, you know, let's let's be like Mary. And that's easy for a preacher to say. But as we look at the life of Judas, most sermons preached on Judas are entitled, Don't Be a Judas. And with a loving heart, because... As your pastor, I care for you. I'm going to just tell you right now, you are Judas. So I'm going to get that out of the way. Now, before you leave and get in your car and say, I'm out of here. That preacher just called me Judas. I want to remind you of a quick story my, my very best friend Joey tells. He went to a church one time, I think it was for a wedding, a big old church, and uh, he. I turned around for some reason and noticed on the back door of the closed doors to the sanctuary were inscribed a sentence that read, Judas left early too. That's funny, right? Okay. It's a joke. I mean, that's a real story, but it's, I, I don't know what was behind the church motivation for writing that, but I was trying to alleviate some pressure here since I just called you all Judas. and In calling you Judas, I am calling myself Judas. Judas I hope you understand that. The context in which we find our passage this morning is in the upper room. Jesus is with his disciples. And beginning in chapter 13, the Gospel of John spends five chapters talking about the events of the upper room. And it starts with Jesus washing washing the disciples' feet. This was immediately following the dinner that we talked about last week. And immediately following the washing of the feet of the disciples is where we find our scripture today. It's in the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to chapter 13, beginning in verse 16. These are the words of Jesus, speaking to his disciples, beginning in verse 16. Hear the word of God. Truly, 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 I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And so after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered him, It is he to whom... I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, Judas, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one on the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought it was because Judas Judas had the money bag. Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, Judas immediately went out, and it was night. Thus saith the Lord. Now you can feel the sorrow in Jesus' words as he's talking to his friends. His spirit's troubled. You can feel the tension. Jesus knew Uh, that he was about to be betrayed, that he would be delivered to Pilate, that he would be convicted in a court falsely, and that he was about to be brutally murdered. And in the drama of redemption, we're at the point where we get to meet the bad guy. Our bad guy this morning is Judas Iscariot. Judas was from a city known as Kerioth, which was located in the southern district of Judah. So Judas of Kerioth means Judas Iscariot. That's where we get his name. That's the translation. And we don't really know anything else about Judas's life, his early life. But we know that he was called by Jesus to be a disciple. Judas was the money handler of this uh, motley crew of disciples. He was the uh, treasurer for Jesus' earthly ministry. And we see in Scripture that Judas was a liar, that he was a thief. He stole money from Jesus and from the disciples. Yet Judas was living, traveling, eating, with Jesus for three years every day. Judas was in the very presence of the Messiah. He's as close to the Messiah as one could be. And yet, despite being in the presence of the Lord, Judas preferred the ways of the world. He preferred the sin of the world. Judas preferred creation over the Creator. Judas sought darkness over light. Judas preferred his own comfort over the comfort of others. Judas cared only for himself. Judas would rather sin than obey. Judas was concerned with his outward appearance over the inward condition of his heart. Judas did not desire to live under the rule of God. Judas wanted to do things his own way. Judas preferred the pleasures over the world, over the presence of the Savior. And I read that fast because I could replace Judas' name with my name. And everything I just said. Jordan prefers creation over the Creator. Jordan prefers darkness over light. Jordan preferred comfort over the comfort of others. Jordan only cares about himself. Jordan would rather sin than obey. Jordan's concerned with his outward appearance over the inward condition of his heart. Jordan doesn't desire to live under the rule of God. Jordan wanted to do things his own way. Jordan preferred the pleasures of the world over the presence of the Savior. We're Judas. And with every act of sin, we betray Jesus. So if you don't think you're betraying Jesus, with every act of sin, we're nailing him to a cross. Our passage says that Jesus says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. But I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now what does that mean? Kind of a strange thing to say. Well, Jesus had chosen Judas to be one of his 12 disciples, but Jesus hadn't chosen Judas to be one of his elect, and he would not receive eternal salvation. But Judas had a purpose, as we all do, and Judas' purpose was ordained by God before the foundation of the earth was even laid, and Judas' purpose was to betray Jesus. R.C. Sproul says, Judas could have not delivered Christ to Pilate if it were not the providential decree of God. This wasn't shocking. Jesus wasn't surprised by the betrayal of Judas. In Acts 2.23 it says, Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, crucified and killed by lawless men. This was ordained. This was not a shocking thing and In our passage, verse 18 is an astonishing verse that somebody's going to raise up a heel against me because this was Jesus revealing his sovereignty. Jesus was revealing his knowledge of all things. He's announcing that there's a betrayer among them. And Jesus quotes a prophecy from Psalm chapter 41, verse 9, written a 1,000 years prior to this evening. And he's talking about this betrayal. In Psalm 41, 9, it's, it's... King David saying, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. A foreshadow of what would happen to Jesus. And so why is Jesus announcing this at this time? And he tells us, he says, I'm telling you this before it takes place, so when it does take place, you'll believe that I am he. Jesus is announcing this, that there's going to be a fulfillment of scripture before it even happens. He's revealing his divine Nature. He's not trying to wow these disciples by doing fortune teller tricks. He's showing them that he is God with skin on and that he knows all things, that all things are in him. And even in the flesh, his divine nature is sovereign. So Jesus in verse 18 states that he is God. And if you look at the original translation of that verse, you may know that you may believe that I am he. It's actually the translators that have added that word he. In this original text, it says that when it does take place, that you may believe that I am. Which is what God told Moses his name is. In the burning bush, when Moses said, what do I tell these people? How do I describe them. How do I describe you? What do I tell him your name is? He says, I am who I am. I am. And that theophany of the burning bush, many believe was a Christophany, was the son of God in the burning bush declaring his name, I am. So Jesus has said this before, if you believe that, which I do. The son of God was declaring his divinity And Jesus is telling his disciples this now because he cares for them. He's preparing them for the night's events because this night is going to be rather dramatic, right? He's about to be betrayed He'll be arrested. It's going to be a dramatic evening. And so he loves his disciples, and so he's preparing them. It's like when I have to take Braden to the dentist, it's like I'm not going to go tell him. They're like, hey, we're going to go to the dentist and ride rides and eat chocolate. And then when we get there, and he's got a, you know, a drill in his mouth, Judas! No. He's, I tell him, I say, son, we're going to go get your teeth cleaned. It might be a little scary at first, but I'm going to sit right next to you. I'm preparing him for what's about to happen so he's not shocked. And I think Jesus is doing a little bit of this. And after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, one of you is going to betray me. And the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. Now, Jesus is upset with his own words here. He knows the betrayal's looming. And he has hinted at, if you look at the entirety of this chapter, he's hinted that there's going to be a betrayer a couple times, but the disciples are still like, what? And so he spells it out super clear. What if he's going to betray me? And these would be very scary words. Soul-crushing to the disciples. But what strikes me about this passage is the disciples' reaction, because they had no clue who it was. You know, in my mind, as I grow up in Sunday school and people talk about Judas, in my mind I have this villain, right? Like this maniacal villain, maybe petting a cat or something in the corner. That's, I can't even think of Judas any other way. But apparently that's not what he was like because the people he had lived with for three years had no idea that it was him. So what does that say about Judas? Judas had done a good job hiding his sin. He had done a good job hiding his deeds. He had fooled the very people around him. Judas Judas was a liar, he was a manipulator, and he had convinced everyone around him of his devotion to Jesus, except Jesus. Judas was a master disguiser of his sin. Again, I know this is uncomfortable. We are master disguisers of our sin. We're so often like this man. I know you're hiding sin. <laughs> you know I'm hiding sin. Let's just, throw, let's just lay our cards on the table. We cover up our sin. We keep it in the darkness. We don't want to expose it to the light. We pray that no one will find out. This makes us betrayers like Judas. Judas. I know we don't like hearing this, but my favorite preacher, um, Charles Spurgeon, says, We must learn to hear what we don't like. The question is not is it pleasant, but is it true? And I think that is, as a disciple of Christ, something that we need to emulate in our life. So one of his disciples, we believe to be John, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table, sitting with Jesus, and Peter kind of bumps him, he's like, we don't know, yet. ask him who it is. I like the narrative in Matthew 26 of this same event just told by Matthew. When it was evening, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and they were eating, and Jesus said, I, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, and they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? And Jesus answered, It's the one who dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes that goes at it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And Jesus said, Yeah, you've said so. This is so interesting. In Matthew's Gospel, we see... Not only that Judas had completely disguised all of his sin, but even were revealed to the disciples themselves their kind of lack of faith. Or at least the awareness of their own sin. Because they all are all of a sudden aware that they could be the betrayer. All of a sudden they see that they are capable of betraying Jesus as they all are asking, Is it, am I going to be the one who's going to betray, betray him? And we know in one way or another that they would all betray Jesus by the morning. And so Jesus answers their question, "Is it I, Lord, in a very broad way, he said, it's the one who's dipped his hand in this dish with me. And, you know, they're all eating dinner together. So that was a very broad answer. And they're like, did you dip your hand in that dish? God, I think I did. And I think it, Jesus does this to give them a pause to the question because they're already looking into their hearts for a second. I think Jesus pauses for a second here to give them a moment to examine their hearts. And I think he says that purposefully. And it continues, Jesus dipped the morsel. He gave it to Judas. Then, after Judas had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. Now you gotta understand the context of what's happening here. Since the beginning of creation, there's been this cosmic battle between God, Lucifer, Satan, the devil, and creation. And this war has gone on since the beginning, and since the fall of Adam and Eve, our God promised victory over the enemy. Hallelujah. The promise of victory now, here in the upper room, is very close to its fulfillment through the cross and resurrection. And in this drama, this dramatic events, the first two verses of this chapter that we're reading from, chapter 13, kind of sets up the battle plans. And the verse 1 of this chapter says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart this world to the Father. And then verse 2 During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon's son, to betray him. So here it comes. The battle's coming. And Jesus says, it's time for me to head to the cross. And Satan says, it's time for me to head into Judas. You know that saying, where you shouldn't show up to a gunfight with a knife? Well, what's happening here is Satan is showing up for a nuclear battle with a spoon by entering Judas. And so this cosmic battle about to take place as Satan enters Judas, I, want, I do want you to understand that Judas isn't relieved of any responsibility there. It's like, no, oh, poor Judas. No. Judas was willing. Judas was welcoming Satan into his hearts. He was a willing participant in this possession. Judas was being led by the flesh and was following his father, as Jesus would teach them earlier in John 8. If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your, your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth of him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character because he's a liar. He's the father of lies. And so he says, you're being led by your father. So Judas is being led by Satan and he's not being forced. He was following the, his father, the devil. Judas had hardened his heart towards Jesus. You know, it's funny, I think about this. I wonder what Satan was thinking here as he entered into Judas. I wonder what, actually, I don't really care what Satan was thinking, but it's interesting. Because, interestingly enough, Judas does, Satan does not want Jesus to die. Do you know that? Because if Jesus dies on a cross, all the prophecy that had been happening for all this time would be fulfilled. The prophecy of God and sinners being reconciled would, would happen. So, Judas, so Satan entering Judas, I don't know what Satan's motive there is. We could take some guesses, but it's not so that he could kill Jesus. He does not want that to happen, Right? When Judas is tempting Jesus, right? Jesus starts his earthly ministry. What is Judas saying? He's not saying die. He's saying, look at this power you could have. When Peter says, Lord, you'll never die. I'll never let that happen to you. What does he say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Satan doesn't want Jesus to die. He probably knows it's going to happen. Maybe he's just trying to make it as bad as it's going to be. After Jesus taken the morsel and Satan entered into Judas, after Judas took the morsel and Satan entered to him, Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one on the table knew what he was talking about. So Jesus says to Judas, go. And even in this dramatic, sorrowful evening, Jesus is exercising his power over the enemy. Right? Satan enters to Judas, and Jesus says, get out of here. And Judas leaves. Judas immediately and quickly leaves the presence of Jesus and goes into the night, into the darkness, and John closes this by saying it was night. The contrast between darkness and light is all throughout Scripture, but it's really visual here. Judas leaves the place where Jesus is, Jesus is described as the light of world and, and light of the world, and Judas goes outside of the upper room, into the world, into the darkness, away from the light. We know Jesus Jesus is described as the light, even in the very first words of this book that we're reading from today in John. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of all men. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. Even Jesus Himself says, I'm the light of the world, whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Judas does not follow Jesus, He walks in darkness. He leaves the source of all light to live and to die in the dark. The thing about light is is that when it exposes, it exposes darkness. And we know that sin does not like to be exposed. As R.C. Sproul says it, when the light comes, the darkness cannot stand its presence and so it flees you know the most terrifying part of this scripture to me is is that Judas was with Jesus for 3 years Judas heard Jesus speak every day Judas witnessed the healings of Jesus Judas was among the people of God, yet he wasn't one of them. That terrifies me. The most sobering words in Scripture are Jesus saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many are going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? This is Judas. Did we not cast out demons? Judas cast out demons. Did we not do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them. Jesus will say to these people, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Brothers and sisters, my friends and my family, your only concern today and for the rest of your life should be whether or not you know Jesus. that on that day he will say, I know you. It's not just enough to know about Jesus, to know about his words, to know about church, to know about worship songs, to know about the Bible. You need to not just know about it, you need to know Jesus. There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Knowing about God, believing in God is not enough. That gives you the exact same credentials as demons. The Bible tells us that even demons believe in God. Jesus knows you. And the purpose of Jesus living on earth was that you may know him. Once you listen to Jesus' prayer in the garden, before he was about to be arrested listen to these words Jesus is praying to his father passionately and he says he lifted his eyes to heaven and said to he said father the hour has come glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have given and this is eternal life So he says, what is eternal life? This is is what we know what eternal life is. That they know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's the beginning of the prayer. And then he ends this prayer with saying, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. It's the purpose of Jesus' coming is so that you may know him, that you may know God. We know what happens to Judas. Judas leaves the upper room and he enters into the darkness. He sets in motion the death of Christ and the death of himself. You can look at that passage, and we have more time later, later today. You can look at it. Judas sold Jesus. Do you know for how much? 30 pieces of silver. You know what that was worth? A slave. That's what slaves were, were sold for. For the price of a slave, Jesus was sold. And then G- Judas goes and he killed himself. He hung himself. He committed the only unforgivable sin. Not suicide. But disbelief. The only thing that Jesus didn't die for was disbelief in him. Judas chose darkness over light, He chose to know the world over knowing the Savior. I said that we're all Judas, and throughout your life, our actions, our thoughts are probably going to reflect that. But I pray that nobody will experience Judas's spiritual, fate, spiritual fate, which is eternal darkness. Separated from God in hell. We all know that Judas' actions would lead to the murder of Jesus. And while we're tempted to look at Judas and blame him for the murder of Jesus, we must understand that God had ordained this murder of Jesus and ordained it for the purpose of displaying his love. This is where we find our hope. This is how we escape the wrath that Judas got, escape the wrath of God, which we have all earned through our sin. We all deserve the wrath of God. But knowing Jesus is understanding his love for you. So what does Jesus' love look like? Romans 5.8, God shows us his love. How? And that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. So the murder of Jesus was God's display of love for us. Second Corinthians five twenty one. For our sake He made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, in this drama of the cross, the drama behind the cross, God is the central character. He is the best director. He is the best lead actor. He is the best supporting actor. He is the best editor. The best screenwriter. The best set designer. This is all about God and his plan to reconcile sinners to himself. And it has only become the cross that we, only because of the cross that we don't experience the same fate that Judas did. Our lives may look a lot like Judas right now, but we have the opportunity because of the cross to escape the fate in which we deserved, and which Judas experienced. God chose the cross to display his love for us. It is only because of the cross that we can be saved from this fate. God became man and lived with us so that we may know him. And there is no greater purpose in life. There is no more important question in life than this. Do I know Jesus? The murder of Jesus was the work of God, but it was also the love of God on display. And I pray that we'd be drawn to the cross today, that we'd repent of our sin. Listen, I'm calling you Judas, but you don't have to keep living like this. We don't have to choose darkness over light. That's where we're drawn, yes. But by the Spirit of God, we've been given faith. And faith turns towards Jesus. Repentance turns away from sin, away from darkness. And Judas chose to turn away from Jesus and turn towards darkness. Judas toward chose to turn towards sin as he left the presence of Jesus and went into the world. I know that this scripture, that this sermon may feel overwhelming, overwhelmingly convicting. But let me tell you that the shame and the guilt that you're feeling for your sin right now is healthy. And that the guilt... all that sin that you feel in you, let me tell you something. There is way more grace and love, forgiveness and mercy found in Christ than there is sin in you. Way more! It's overwhelming. It's as if it never existed. There is more grace in Christ than sin in you. And I know it feels unbelievable that Jesus would die for us. Martin Luther puts it this way, when I look at myself, I don't see how I can be saved. But when I look at Jesus, I don't see how I could be lost. I pray that we turn away from the darkness, turn away from the world, turn away from our sin, and turn towards Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, it is only by your work that we would know you. How great you are, Lord. That you would send your Son to the cross to display your love for me. And as I nail you to the cross, Lord, with my sin, I pray that the Revelation of my sin by your spirit would show the beauty of your grace. And that while I was enslaved to my sin, you died for me. So may I be found in your righteousness in the light, Lord. May we live in the light. By your spirit, Lord, may we live in the light and turn from the darkness. May we have faith and turn towards Christ and may we repent and turn away from our sin. We confess, Lord, that we are all capable of betraying you. But by your spirit, Lord, you have given us a new heart. You have caused within us a new desires and a new Focus in life where we do not live for ourselves, but live for you, Lord. And I pray that it's your spirit that gives us the strength to do that. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.